Looking for more professional learning, free as a benefit of your union membership? OEA's upcoming quarter catalog is available now at grow.oregoned.org. You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members, for members. In Season 9, it's back to school with host Malik White. Hello. Welcome back to Season 9 of OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. My name is Malik White, and I'm the host for this year's Back to School season of the podcast. Today, we are excited to be talking with the mindful Sakura Mata from Portland Public School District, and we'll be covering the importance of social-emotional learning for educators. To get things started, Sakura, can you tell the listeners about your pathway to Portland Public School District? Yes. So, hi, everybody. My name is Sakura Hamada, pronoun she, hers, and I am a school counselor at Portland Public School now. Um, anyway, and I'm also wanted to share that I am a loud and proud Japanese American woman. Um, that's basically <laughs> my, uh, my identity, who I am as a person. So, um, anyway, so to answer your question, um, well, I was at other school district, uh, previously and, uh, um, you know, just what, like, that's how I hit, I hit the road as a counselor. I learned new things. I built some network and I did a lot of union work in my previous school district too. And I'm really thankful for the opportunity that was given me. Um, uh, but, uh, at the end, it was time for me to go and I was seeking for a place that makes me feel more belonged and valued by input. And so I wanted a change. And here I am at public public school. And so far, the school that I'm at, I mm, feel like they, their focus is on mindfulness and a lot of relationship building. And that's, so, that's something that I vibe so much with. So I'm super excited. That's awesome. That is so exciting. And I just love to hear that. And I look forward to hearing about your new experiences. Uh, well, my first question that I would like to ask you is this. Um, can you tell us about the importance of finding your community? Oh, that's a good. Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. Um, community is so important, right? Because because we as a human are like as a species, right? We're like basic like. You know, just like a lot of like animals out there and then species, we we need to be in a collective mindset. We're living in the community, in the village, within the village, right? And so I feel like us as an educator, we need to seek our own villages, our community for us to succeed because we can't really do much on our own. Well, we could barely do much by ourselves with that individualistic mindset or like try to like, you know, do everything on your own. It's exhausting and it's really difficult. And especially if you're an early educator too, um, like myself, it's so important to find that go-to person, the people that you, that you can reach out to, lean into for support. 
And and it just feels validating to to be in a community that you feel belong to. It's validating, it's reassuring, and it just I don't know, you just feel seen as a human. So I think community is so important, not just like uh more about, you know, like uh as a practice, but more so as a human, like our genetic a genetic is seeking that for sure. Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree with you. And uh can you just can you tell us more about that being seen, you know, that you you mentioned the importance of being seen. So I just wanted to see if you could tell the listeners more about that. Oh, yeah. So what I mean by being seen is that like, you know, obviously like the value, your like your values being your, your, your value to our community and people see you as like asset or like, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it may be, but also like seeing who you are as an individual like uh like like as a human like we all bring unique things to our table right we all come from different backgrounds like i am a japanese american woman and malik you and i have obviously have a different background we have a different expertise we have different knowledge to bring in and so just acknowledging that piece is so important to be seen but also like just letting us and just having our mic like here I am um, with my microphone being in this podcast. I already have my microphone to share my input, my experiences. And that and that itself already makes me feel already seen. And then so for me, being seen is that passing that microphone to other people and let them speak. And if they don't want to speak, that's okay. But there'll be a lot ample of chances for them to speak. And, and, and you know what? Maybe some people don't want to speak with microphone. Maybe they prefer to use their teacher voice and then speak up, whatever that may be. And so I feel like for us to be seen is that giving that opportunity for us to speak and then listen to each other. It's so important. Oh, man, I just, that's beautiful. I love it. And it almost sounds like, and you can just let me know if, the, if you agree with this or what your thoughts are, but it almost sounds as if that sense of being seen helps one find their their sense of identity yeah it's a sense of identity right like it's like i always appreciate when people see me as my who i am like you know like as an asian american woman specifically japanese who you know i migrated from japan at the age of nine and then going through all these systems um just being an English language learner and whatnot. And then for people to like see me as an individual is it's so powerful. And then also like again, sense of being and then the identity, right? People like it's it's kinda like um like I get frustrated when people would say like, oh, like we all we're we're all we're all the same or I don't see color. BS, like that's not true. Like, look at me. I'm, 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 I, I am. I have a Japanese name. I look Japanese, and I have an accent when I speak Japanese. So that's part of who I am. I can't hide that because that's just who I am. And my parents are Japanese, and so it's, it's just that like acknowledging that who you acknowledging each other who you are as a person is so important, and also like uplifting the identity is so powerful. And I'm also not to speak speaking of a racial identity standpoint, but also like a, a sexual orientation and identity too. Like you know, acknowledging their pronouns, their names, 
and also their you know where they're coming from it's so important just to give create creating that like, inclusive space uh, i love it i love it um and I just thank you for sharing that with us. It's just, this is awesome material. Um, my next question that I'd like to ask you is, can you tell us about your experience at OEA Equity Sparks? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I love, um, yeah, I love um, Equity Sparks. Um, it's been the place that um, really helped me set ground, get grounded. Right. Um, Because of my first two years as a counselor, too, it was really hard for me to connect with people. Um, Well, more so like it was hard for me to feel seen, be able to be authentically be present to myself and then be vulnerable. And I was always so uptight and uh, I'm trying to like, you know, to be seen as Asian American woman. But then at Equity Sparks, I'm already seen as Sakura Hamada. I'm already seen as a Japanese-American woman. And people hear me. Like, the Sparkies hear my stories. They hear me. They understand. Like, they have, like, we we could relate to each other, whatever struggles or trauma we've been through. And that was a beauty to it, too. And, oh, my gosh. When we we had, like, a reunion uh, this past two years, and at every reunion, we had, like, a, a fire Fire? Yeah, like, 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 the bonfires. Um, bonfires. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bonfire, bonfire. Thank you. (laughs) Bonfires. And then what's amazing, I've always thought that was beautiful, is that there's a bonfire and we're just like circling. We're around the bonfire where they're just chatting, talking to each other, vibing with music, or just, you know, dancing, or just simply staring at the fire together. There's some beauty to it too, and I feel like that's when I'm most authentically to my me myself. Like I see everyone's facial expression, I see what everyone else is doing, but I'm also know that I'm part of this amazing circle. It it's it's super powerful, and for me, Equity Spark has been a great place for feel make me feel the sense of belonging, and also feel validated that what I'm doing as an educator has been good. And uh, it's not just me who's going through the struggle, but there's a, a lot of my sparky cousin that's also going through the struggle. So navigating the system that's all embedded in whiteness and white supremacy. And so it's been it's been very powerful and 10 out of 10, will recommend. Yeah, and you know, everyone, and just thank you for sharing that experience. I, as well, was able to have the, the privilege to be a part of the Equity Sparks retreat and reunion and be at the bonfire. And, you know, to all the listeners out there, it's truly a therapeutic experience. And it's, you know, it's a great way to refill your cup. Um, Mm -hmm. Something that you mentioned, though, I think it would be great for the listeners to hear. I think you might like talking about. Can you tell us about, you know, that bonfire experience and, you know, the, the storytelling that took place and, you know, kind of, um, the relatability that you kind of felt there during that, that storytelling and almost how it was, it was a space that I don't want to really say the name of these spaces. I will talk about the, the name of those spaces later. However, you know, that experience, the bonfire almost felt like that as well. Yeah. And I feel like 
See, the bonfire was our like centerpiece, was the center, and it's interesting that we just were just around it, and it's we're forming this like amazing circle. And you know, I keep thinking about why circle, right? Why why are we always in a circle? It's because, and I and I thought of this. It's because when we're in a circle, we get to see everyone's faces. We get to see everyone clearly. Whether as if you're in a triangle or square, like there's always that edge, and you could barely see anyone. And that's why we always encourage, you know, whether you're in the small group or classroom, whatever. We always in a circle because that's when it's easier to see each other. You know, face to face, and I think there's a lot of beauty to it too. And I don't know, maybe we could go back into more historical context of what is it, and also like scientific portion of why circle is so significant to us. But I don't have a lot of knowledge. I'm just saying that as a pure observation. But I think this whole, like you mentioned about storytelling too, like it kind of like gives us that power to share our story. And then hearing each other's story too, because like I said, we're seeing each other's expression. We're seeing each other, like you know, direct eye contact or you know whatever、um, what people are comfortable with when when we're listening. But I feel like that's when we become more authentic, authentically ourselves, and then oftentimes be vulnerable. And there's definitely truth to that, I believe. Absolutely, I'd absolutely have to you know just add in there. I feel like that that. That being vulnerable is almost essential to finding your community.、Uh, which you know, I would love to hear your thoughts on that, or、um, just telling us about how your experience, how Equity Equity Sparks helped you find your community, maybe outside、mm-hmm. of school. Yeah, no, like,、um, like my first. Couple years of being an educator. I mean, this is only my fourth year, so like I'm still like an early educator. I would consider myself as an early educator. But yeah, my first years was tough. It's really, really tough, and it was also in the midst of pandemic too. So we're going through, you know, comprehensive distance learning, and then we're transitioning to hybrid. It was all wonky and chaotic, and I tried to situate myself, trying to find that like belonging. But it was so hard because we're always a lot of us were just trying to figure it out, and so there wasn't a lot of like bandwidth, bandwidth, or like a lot. Our, most of our plates were full, you know, and so it was. Kinda hard for me to lean in onto everybody because I felt bad, but also I even myself had my plates full, and because my plate was full, I was I don't know. I feel like I shut down easily. You know, I feel like I just need to keep my head down and I need to do my job, not really assessing how I am or what you know my feelings whatnot. But then, Equity Sparks allowed me to do that. Like I first joined. Equity Spark what was exposed to Equity Spark through the、um, Zoom meetings that we had called Living Room, and、um, I went in there not expecting what it is, and like it was it was cool. We just started talking about our experiences, and then seeing that I'm surrounded by a bunch of like amazing BIPOC educators, and I'm like, holy cow, where are you all? Like, there's many of us here. Like, and then you know, a lot of us are spread out in many districts. PP Portland Public, David Douglas, like you, Malik, or Beaverton, Hillsboro, or you know, or、um, where else?、Uh, in Medford, 
yeah. or yeah, like grand grandpas, whatnot. Like we were all over the place, and I'm just like, whoa, this is so cool to be like connecting, networking with other BIPOC educators that's doing amazing work is so empowering. And that's when I finally feel like I'm could be vulnerable because like in my building, I didn't feel. Like I said, I felt like I had to constantly shut down, but I didn't feel like I could lean in on to anybody. I didn't feel like I could, I don't know, basically like share, be vulnerable and share what I'm experiencing because I felt like I was not allowed, not that I'm not allowed to, but it was, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was safe enough place for me to do so. But at Dekuri Sparks, I felt like I can. And I could be my authentic self. And that's when I could feel, finally felt vulnerable and and I'm also really glad that I, I mean, I didn't really know about Equity Sparks before I started to just jump in. I had to personally ask this person, the uh, coordinator, uh, her name is Teresa Ferrer. Uh, I personally reached out to her be like, hey, I heard about this affinity group for BIPOC. I'm interested. So, and then she sent me the link and then she invited me in. So Part of me is also like happy, proud that I take that step to seeking that connections because that's what I was craving for and that's what I needed. And so I'm glad I didn't, you know, just wait for something to happen. I went for it and, and I did. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Shout out to Teresa. Um, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Teresa. And I hope she's enjoying her retirement. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, my next question, and and you already talked about this a little bit, but we, I just want to go ahead and ask you, um, what does affinity mean to you? And are affinity spaces, are they safe or brave spaces? So, to some of our listeners, they might not know the difference between a safe or a brave space or even what affinity space is. And I think you're the, one of the perfect persons to speak about the value of uh, affinity spaces. Well, I don't know I'm the perfect person, <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate uh I appreciate that um um the the words. Um yeah, I think this space is again so important cuz that's when we are in the in the space where who shares the similar lived experience with us and that's when like similar lived experience or similar identity or similar yeah, like you know, it's it's pretty self-explanatory when I say similar lived experience, but like we're able to be share what's going on, but also listening to each other is so important. It is has been a greatest like gift of affinity space, uh, and then yeah, the difference between brave space and then safe space, and then you know, for most often though, I I would admit that even within affinity group affinity space, there can be some harm done. Right, we may say some things that's unintentional, but may may cause a harm. You know, we may have interpreted things differently. Like you know, we're all humans, right? So interpersonal communication and that thing happens, and so, and oftentimes that safe becomes no longer safe for some of us because now you're hurt. There was a harm done. And so how do we flip this around and turn it into brave space where you could speak up and say, hey, you know, what you say right there doesn't vibe well with me. Um, let's talk more about it. Or you could you, or you could talk about it afterwards with that person or you could, I don't know, or you could sit in, reflect on it for a while, you know, like. 
assess like assessing why why that made you feel this way you know thinking about where you're coming from is it because my maybe my internal biases that's just showed up maybe i need to look into that or maybe it's what's triggering because of my lived experience going through all the trauma whatnot so it's really important for us to continue to assess ourselves and reflect you know reflection reflection checking our own biases is so important right um and then I, yeah, and I feel like that's, that's where brave space come from. Like we just like be able to constantly check ourselves and reflect because it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to be able to reflect and assess and also checking our biases too. Cause that also itself requires vulnerability, vulnerability within ourselves. Cause you know, we want it to be quote perfect and we want to be good for the other people. We don't want to upset other people. Right. And so like, it's kind of difficult for us to think that, Oh, what my, my bias might be harmful for other people or like my whatever. And so, but I actually ex- taking a step back and then processing that, you know what my biases is harmful because from the lived experience, you know, whether that's like, like homophobic, homophobic idea, anti-blackness, all that stuff, um, or ableism, or capitalistic minded mindset that was like uh, embedded through through throughout this history, throughout the um, throughout your life, throughout your life. Because you know, like I, I could go on and about intergenerational embedded, you know, embedded like anti-blackness and then um, whiteness yeah. and then capitalism, ableism, all that stuff, right? But anyways. I won't go much in detail, but, and so it's also important for us to assess that too. Like how does, why, where's my mindset coming from? Where's my biases coming from? Where's my like um, ableism mindset or anti-blackness mindset coming from? Oh, it's probably stemmed from my family that's been telling me all the X, Y, and Z and stuff, all the media. And so I need to really break that cycle. And again, that takes a lot of braveness and vulnerability and so I think that's the difference between brave space and safe space. I'm sorry if I'm go but to bun- tons of tangent. <laughs> like it's kind of hard for me to like follow follow me at some point. But I think that's that's what affinity space is. And then I've done affinity sp- API Asian Pacific Islander Native Hawaiian Native Hawaiian um, affinity group. Uh, last year and uh well we just hang we kids call it hashtag aging club even though that's not the official name because i want to be inclusive to our pacific islander native hawaiians right but because they just decided to say aging club whatever but it was it was also powerful we're able to talk about you know our families and how our family may have some anti-blackness in it in it in in it and then talking about colorism as well and i got to have that conversation with fourth graders fourth graders y'all so i'm saying it's never too early to talk about topic to kids because they know they could they see the grass they could see the pattern oh why is my family acting a certain way to this particular people and not this particular people so i think it was so powerful for me to even talking about colorism within my api community within my api affinity group so um i know that was a huge long answer oh thank great you answer. for your patience <laughs> no, great answer amazing answer and one thing i want to mention that, you know, you talked about explicit bias and being, you know, reflective in our practices, especially as early educators. Uh, One thing I want to drop to all educators out there, listeners, um, go ahead and pay a visit to explicit.harvard.edu 
and go ahead and take the explicit bias test. It's a great way to just do your own, you know, look in the mirror, self-reflection. Every once in a while, hop on there, go take a random test. There's a whole bunch of categories. Um, uh, Secure, Secure, I don't know if you remember this material. We were just shared to us at, at Equity Sparks. It's where I met you. Yes, 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 yes. Well, um, and one thing I just wanted, you know, before we wrap things up, I really want to have you share your experience of having that affinity space with your students and, you know, why some educators might want to take that into consideration, maybe hosting those affinity spaces at their own schools and buildings. Yeah, no, 100%. So, um, little plug to my like my, my current school uh, uh it's a, it's amazing so what we're doing is tons of affinity space so we're in elementary school and there's like um, numbers of affinity space including black black affinity group space so, so black and african-american student affinity space lgbtqia plus affinity space they're going to work on having a neurodivergent affinity space, which I never heard of. But I think it's amazing that we do that because we have a lot of neurodivergent folks out there and that and really, really need to give that space to them. And also like a uh, Asian, Asian, like Asian affinity group, but also separating from Asian and Pacific Islanders because like we should not be lumped in together all the time. Or yeah, all the time, right? And so Pacific Island, and so there's affinity group for Pacific Islander and then Hawaiians, and I'm like, holy cow, that's amazing! And then so there's tons, and also Latine, Latine affinity space as well. And so we have a tons of affinity space within elementary school, and I haven't got a chance to witness their work yet because I'm still brand new to the building. But hearing the teachers like, um teachers getting super excited about the fact that they get to lead it, have this conversation. It's so powerful and it's so inspiring for me too. And I'm like, wow, I want to get into this like, you know, roller coaster of the ride. Like I wanted to and I wanted to see this, see this amazing work and see how students respond to it. Oh, I almost forgot to say there's also multiracial affinity group because we have a lot of multiracial students and folks out there. And then like I said, uh, previously too um they're not sometimes they're not seen well most of the time most of the time they're not seen at all and so yeah. it's awesome that like my school is giving giving them that like amazing space and i think honestly for a lot of schools they should do that like whatever that looks like you know it could be any sort of any space whatever the capacity is to for the staff to lead it you know and and they should honest honest honestly be up like you know, prep time or, or even a stipend because, you know, we should not be doing this work for free. You know what I mean? Because, uh, yeah, because yeah, uh, in re- real real talk, like, we love our kids. We love the work, but we also got to live. We also got to survive in this world. We're going to pay our rent and all that stuff, right? We'll pay our housing. And so, um, so we, like, all these, like, um, additional affinity space work, that should come in, that should be coming like the stipend, there should be a stipend addition, uh, stipend to it too, um, and that like I think it's definitely um, really important for students to have that space too. But also, I think it's super healthy and helpful for the staff too to have that space. And oh my gosh, like I can only speak for my own affinity space, but when I was in that space with my fourth graders. I'm just like wow, like I my my heart just melted. 
in a good way, of course. My yeah. heart just melted. It was so healing. It was so I don't know. I just feel like, like yeah, like the like my breath of fresh air, kind of like I'm in the space with a bunch of these kiddos that had a similar identity as me, and a lot and a lot oftentimes, you know. With the fourth graders, particularly, sometimes they don't have the word choice. They are, have a hard time, artic- like you know, discussing, articulating what they're feeling, what the experiences are, because you know, because of their grade level. But that's okay. But they, but they feel this ick coming from being in a, one of the only few API students, or you know, witnessing all this stuff. And so, it's cool that I get to talk about it. And again. With our even like LGBTQIA plus affinity group, but also um, a neurodivergent affinity group, I think that itself is giving them a space is so important for to to be in. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I love it. And you know, you took the words out of my mouth. I was gonna say it's almost like a fresh breath air. Um, well, before we wrap things up. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah, well, I want to tell listeners that uh, it is okay that you don't find your community in your building. That's totally fine. And and it's okay for you to seek out people outside of work too. And my amazing um, I, I consider her my friend, but also my mentor, but also senpai has shared with me that some, like it's some, it's, it's kind it's helpful when you have a friend that's not an educator. So then you could just let go. Don't really have to talk about work or education and then how flawed it is, whatnot. You could just, you know, do what you enjoy, do your hobby, you know, do some fun activity yeah. that you and your like friends get to do. And that's, I think there's part to it too. And, and, I'm not saying you shouldn't have educator friends. Like, look at me. I have pun- tons of educator friends. Right. But what I'm saying is that it is okay. Sometimes, like, it's it's helpful to have a non-educator friend. And then also, like, join- setting that boundary, right? I think setting that boundary is so important within our work. And then finding your joy um, is definitely important. Also, mm, speaking on boundary, say no. It is okay to say no, my friends. You don't have to say yes all the time because you are just as important for students. The work is important, but you need to take care of yourself because as a counselor, I cannot emphasize the fact, I cannot emphasize more to the fact that it's important to take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Do what you got to do to heal, rejuvenate, recalibrate, whatever you need to do to continue this work. And if you need to take a pause, it's fine. We're all human. And we also, we need to also give the same grace to, like, as we give a lot of grace to our students, right? We need to give just the same grace to ourselves as well. And that's where I will finish off. <laughs> oh, amazing, amazing. Uh, Sakura, thank you so much for being with us. This was great. Yay, thank you so much for having me. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.